without any further anticipation, let's bring Sam out of the green room. Hey, hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. Hello. Thank you for bringing me out of my wooden sweat box. Yeah, sorry we left you in there a bit too long, but we were setting up um, technical stuff. No worries. Hope you didn't suffer too much. Very, it's a very warm day. I felt like a dog in a car, you know, like, like there's no popped window. You you look a little bit like a, a no you don't you don't look like a dog in a car at all it's just me trying to be polite. But we've, <laughs> we've said to Abigail several times now that we need to cut some windows in it, mm. but it's a garden shed and she's worried about tools rusting and stuff. So that's fair enough. Completely understandable. Mm. So Sam, we have met before, and he hasn't met you before. Um, let's start then by allowing you an opportunity to introduce yourself and tell tell us who Sam is. Um, I am Sam, and I, I am in a company called The Noise Next Door, uh, who are, we are an improvised comedy troupe, basically. So we tour around the country, the world, um, giving improvised comedy shows and attempting to make them amusing um, for the fools who, who deign us worthy to, uh, to, you know, for them to pay to come and watch us. Um, yeah, so full-time improviser, which is really unusual these yeah. days yeah. because it's, well, you, you look on the face of it as how can you be a full-time improviser and actually make money in a, in a troupe? Um, but we've been going a, quite a long time, you know, over 15 years. Um, just, yeah, delivering improv and just... The, the wonderful thing about what we do is it's... Um, it's kind of just pure, unadulterated fun. There's no pretense to it. There's no like political agenda, or there's there's no real defined theme. It's just an evening of of entertainment where you can just kind of come and let all of your issues go and just have a nice time, <laughs> which is which is what I really like about it. Like I used to be a stand-up before I did this, and although I still find that fun. Um, you're always pushing. You're always pushing something. You're, you've always got something you want yeah. to say. Um, whereas with mm. with the improv, it's all based on audience suggestion. People come, they shout stuff out, and then you make comedy on it. So it's it feels more. It sounds pretentious, but it feels more for the people. Um, but I like a bit more that freeing. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It is a little bit. I th- well, it's not. It's not necessarily freeing as a performer. Well, it can be, but it's it's more. You're giving yourself over to a room full of people as a yeah. kind of performing monkey, you know, like, and I, I quite like that. I like that you are at other people's whim for a night. They ha- they ha- they're kind of puppeteering you. Um, yeah, and I like that. It's, it's not for everyone <laughs> as a performer, but for me, I, I much prefer it to, uh, to doing the stand up. And how sort of structured is it? Is it a bit like whose line is it anyway springs to mind? Uh, saw those guys at the comedy store, or is it completely free and easy and loose it's very it's very much like who's eyes anyway yes it's a uh, short form improv is the kind of um official term for it as it were so it's kind of small short games um you know between five and ten minutes um where the audience will suggest something in a kind of structured way there will be um there will be a kind of structure or rules to that little game that we're playing just to kind of like it Im- improv without any structure is often a complete mess like it needs some structure to it um, and that gives you a little bit of control over the ideas the audience are going to throw out to you if i remember correctly yeah yeah exactly like if, if you just say to a room full of people uh shout something out it's such a weird thing to ask and everyone goes well mm. what do i shout out even if you just say 
uh, shout out an animal. Like at least you're you're giving people a little bit of a focus um, to to be able to um, to let their creativity have a focus. Um, so yes, there is a little bit of structure to to everything, even even if it's just like. So, for example, one of the games might be okay. It will be fun to sing a boy band love song. So, this is in the style of a boy band love song. We'll get somebody up on stage, get some facts from them, and sing it in the style, in that style, so that people have got a an understanding of something that you're satiring that you can then layer the improv over the top of. And we have like I don't know, a hundred and fifty odd of those different types of mini structures. Um, yeah. And there are improv groups that their entire act is these these little singing songs that they grab from the audience and and develop, aren't there? Yeah. So the the way to be an improv troupe and be successful and be able to keep going, I think the 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 key element is that everyone who does that has refined a niche for themselves so ours is is comedy very very specifically comedy no pretense big dumb laughs whereas there are other troops for example uh the showstoppers who it's an improv musical so they'll take a whole load of stuff at the beginning of the show um styles of music um specific musicals and then they'll take a title for a new musical and then the whole thing will be structured like a musical um and so uh, giving yourself that niche just focuses um, audiences into, okay, I understand what this is going to be. I want to go and see it rather than we're just doing some random improv. On yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? It's a little bit airy-fairy. And I think people still, people still look at improv, particularly in the UK, as a, a, a failed actor's kind of student form and they're just wow. immediately you know, I see it's the opposite uh, yeah, it's, it's very vulnerable there's a lot of actors that cannot do improv they like mm. things structured it's like joining the army or becoming a, a activist isn't it they're two different things <laughs> but are still trying to achieve similar results um, you've got one where it's structured you've got to tell what time you wake up in the morning the other one you've done some stuff the night before and probably have a spinning head when you wake up and dance around in posy again extremes um, I'd like to know sort of with yourself, Sam, so you studied drama and then you decided to stretch out to comedy. Is that right? Before you started the improv? Yeah, pretty trip? much. I, um, I was always, yeah, I always studied theatre for, you know, pre GCSE and then I did GCSE, A-level, and then I did uh, a BA and then a master's all in um, drama and theatre studies. Um, but in terms of early doors, I just... Uh, I've always gravitated towards things that I'm good at. Like, I think I'm naturally quite lazy. So if I'm already good at something, I don't have to work as hard at it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I like, I guess I just liked acting and I like playing. And then when you get a live audience in front of you, I'm a bit, you know, I've always been a bit of a natural clown, a little bit of a showman. So then you, you you're formalizing your sense of play. And so... You know, I, I actively remember being about 15 and I was in Midsummer Night's Dream and I wasn't a particularly big fan of Shakespeare. Um, and I just, I was Oberon and I remember like, it's, it's a pretty straight role. And mm. I was like, nah, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I just found these little pockets to get laughter quite a lot actually out of physicality because obviously the, the content mm. isn't massively funny for his character. 
but just out of physicality. And I, I really remember the kind of laughter that came out of it because mm. for a lot of people coming to watch their between 13 and 15 year old, 15 year old kids watching uh, Shakespeare, they know, they know going in that they're not going to enjoy it. So you're giving them that slight little bit of release of, oh, this, this kid's being quite funny. What, where's this come from? Like, that's quite nice. And I really actively remember that feeling. And since pretty much since then, I always gravitated towards kind of comedic roles in things. So then I started being typecast um, school and outside of school and then into uni as a kind of comedic performer, um, which then led me to wanting to do that as a job, and I'm very lucky that I. Do you think had... it's a certain type of person that leads that? We we spoke with Terry Sweeney about three four weeks ago, and one of the things that we sort of suggested there is the the vulnerability of being a comedian and the ability which not everybody has to read the audience to get that feedback from and know when something's working and adapt yourself and change that structure to make it work. I yeah, I love that element. Like a lot of. Uh... Actors will not, well, uh, screen actors don't like that. Whereas I, that's what I thrive off of, like live, live audiences and being able to um, kind of work the jigsaw of what an audience is. So it's, it's, again, one of the wonderful things about improv, like at the top of our show, we'll, we'll just ask people to shout some stuff out just to get them a little bit warmed up. Even in that process, there's no actual gags or no specific comedy coming out of that those first couple of minutes it's just gauging the audience a you're just telling them this is what the show is we're going to make stuff up you're going to shout some stuff out but just from the the noises that are coming out of people you can work out roughly the style of comedy they're going to want you can tell if they're going to be really filthy you can tell if they're going to be uh, a little bit more intelligent or uh, if they're quieter so you need to draw them out of their shell and then in the first five, ten minutes of doing some actual comedy stuff, you're working out that puzzle and you're listening to the audience as much as possible to work out what they want from the show. And I, I, think love, I love that puzzle. There was a, uh, a comedian that used to start his act with, I've got a red book here and a blue book here. This is full of rude jokes and this is full of family-friendly jokes. If you want the rude jokes, please clap your hands. Um, just to try and get people straight away into that mood so they know what they're expecting. But it also means you've got that read on the audience. You've got that feedback, that, that haptic feedback, basically. Well, and generally as well, audiences are going to want to push the boundary and be a little bit naughtier. Like, like so there's uh, Gary Delaney does that with like, he'll start slowly with a couple of gags that will just be kind of normal gags and then drop in a couple of naughtier ones. And then, oh, do you want me to open the really naughty box? And people are like, oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a kind of it's a human. Um, it's almost in human nature to be like, yeah, let's let's do the let's do the naughty stuff. And it might be too much for some people, but as a comic, your job is to judge how far a room as a whole want want to go. Um, yeah, I love that, get, I love that part of it. Do you get that thing as well with night to night? It can change with an audience as well. I know when I've I've not done sort of stand up uh, uh, comedy improv, but whenever I've done. Uh, stage shows it's like you'll get like a Wednesday night would always yeah, be the Wednesday very or the Friday cerebral. nights yeah and it was like they're not necessarily not enjoying it they're just kind of quieter and might be even if there's a funny moments in it, it might be having I like call oh, them the <laughs> entertain me audiences uh, yeah. yeah middle of the week they're knackered I suppose isn't it as well but oh absolutely yeah. and there's so many factors in that it can be it can be just location like one town has different mm. types of people in it than another town does 
it can be politically charged. One area of one place is politically inclined in a different way than another, so you have to temper that. It can be seasonal. Like It's mm. much harder to do it in the summer because people are hot and bothered or they're like, or there's less people for starters because everyone's outside. Yeah. Um, it's always a quieter season. Um, in January, it's harder. There's a come down from Christmas and everyone's like, mm. why am I here? I don't have enough money to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like, and again, that's all part, if you're international as well, you sometimes you're working with the fact that most people in there, uh, English is a second language. So mm. you have to temper your wordplay is going to be a bit exactly harder to get across yeah, yeah wordplay and um like their general knowledge is on a different scale their their you know common knowledge is different like their knowledge of tv or movies is is different so i, I like i like that challenge like so the, when, when i was a stand-up i had a couple of different uh 20 minute sets and one day i uh, one of them required a prop and i forgot it so I was forced into doing a different 20 minute set and I died on my hole and I knew that the other set with the prop would have been perfect for this audience. And I was furious. So the next day I did another gig and I had the, the prop and I was like, yes, I'm going to do this set. And I did that set and I died on my hole. And then <laughs> I should have done the other way around. But I was so adamant. Mm. No, I must do this because I've remembered it today. And I hated that. I was like, what, what a fool. Like I forced something on an audience. Mm. that they didn't want twice yeah. in a row to completely different rooms. Um, and that was a real learning curve. And I think, with, and with, but with the improv, you're constantly reading that room so much better than I had the experience for at the time with that. With I've that seen standard. comedians do it where they just haven't read the room and they've got such a thick structure of everything they want to go through that they're expecting laughs at points where the audience are actually finding different things funny. They're finding the fact that the bloke's wig flicked up or whatever else is happening. Sam, you left drama school. Uh, you didn't know you left uh, university. You were studying drama theatre studies. Um, and then from there, where did it go from becoming a professional comedian? I'm like, you must have been working other jobs at the same time. Did you make a conscious choice? Did you jump straight into it? Or you just like, I really enjoy doing that. And suddenly money's coming at the same time. Yeah, well, um, at, at uni specifically, I was like, so I, I trained early on in Commedia dell'arte, which is a... Um, how I got into improv. It's a kind of Italian form of masked improvisation. And so there's very little of it in the UK um, live. So my dream was initially to find some people who were into it as well and form a troupe. And whilst that didn't specifically happen, it was the, the noise next door happened, which was kind of the next best thing. It's kind of like Commedia dell'arte, but without the masks really. And that came about purely by, by chance. There was a few of us who were part of a, um, uh, part of the drama society and there was a big festival that was happening in uh, in canterbury and somebody had pulled out with a week to go and so uh, one of our friends was just like uh, guys we need to fill this spot we've got a week we don't have time to do anything scripted have you ever seen whose lines anyway and he just got together a few people that he thought were pretty funny that would be into it um we rehearsed for you know a few hours and then we went out there you guys didn't know each other first I know we did. Just um, we'd been friends for like I don't know six, you know, the first six months of uni or something. Um, and yes, Matt, who is still currently in the Noise Next Door, um, just yep, just picked some funny friends, and we went and did it. And the first ever improv gig I ever did, like pure improv, I'd done made a latte before, but just pure short form improv was in front of like seven hundred people, and we were very scared. Um, 
But out of the back of that, we were like, it went really well. This is really weird. So then we started like one of the bars on campus was like, hey, do you want to come and see, you know, maybe doing a monthly gig here? See what that's like. And then that turned weekly and then another bar and then another place. And then as it as it kind of it had been going just extracurricularly for, you know, a year or two. And then, yeah, people started to want to pay us. So you kind of like, do you reckon this will this will be a job? Like th- thoughts, guys. And we, we had a real proper like in a club after a, a gig at an old people's home, we had a, a sit down chat about like, can this, should we give this a go? And we um, very sensibly at the time, we got in a, a silent sixth partner. There was five of us at the time. And we got in a silent sixth person to deal with all of the admin and technical stuff and booking that we knew as performers, we were going to be appalling at. And she was brilliant. She was effectively our first agent without realizing it. Um, and that was a really, in terms of it turning into a professional job, that happened so much quicker because we had somebody on the inside dealing with the other stuff so that we could go and be creative and, and learn and fail and practice um, and rehearse and go to gigs when she sorted everything else out. And that was really, um, really invaluable. That's a kind of bit of advice I'd give to people starting out is, you do what you can do to the best. I really love the fact that you guys made your own opportunity out of that. Yeah, you've 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 seen a need and you've fulfilled it basically. Uh, what in terms of the import? Well, it wasn't even that we saw. Oh, what saw a need for her to do that stuff? You mean? Uh, well, that no, just the fact that you you were wanted. That is a need. The fact that people wanted to pay you to do stuff. Yeah, that means that they. Yeah, I guess so. Like we also we 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 forced our way in. Like people like even though we got paid relatively early doors for a couple of small gigs. That was just because one or two promoters were like, this is a bit fun and different. Um, but then for, uh, for at least the first two years, we, we were forcing our way in. Like I said at the beginning, we, we picked our niche, which was comedy. We are comedians who improvise, not improvisers trying to do comedy. That was quite an important distinction for us. But it took a really long time for the comedy industry to go, oh yeah, okay, we'll have these guys on at stand-up nights. Because that, that's what we did. We went on and we still do, we do mixed bill nights um, where most other people or pretty much always all the other people are stand-ups. So for a really long time, it was, we were like, other acts, other bookers were like, who the hell are these guys? Like, why are they here trying to blag onto our comedy nights? And then they'd see the product, which we'd worked really hard to make as funny as possible. And they'd be like, oh, I, I get it. Um, but we, we thrived off of that initial reticence like it even still sometimes happens now where you walk onto stage and you just see the front row cross their arms and go well this is going to be garbage um but it's great to then flip that on its head and then sing in a song immediately about whatever they've shouted out and they're like all right then yeah okay i'll, I'll listen to the rest of this, this is, looks interesting you're all right, mate you're all right yeah <laughs> but yeah we really fought we really forced our way in but what other challenges have you encountered in terms of sort of going from just doing it as basically a hobby or, a, or helping somebody out to uh, making a profession. Yeah, it's because initially there were six of us to feed, which is um, a lot when you're first starting out as a, as a kind of, as a theatre company. Um, and so we all had part-time jobs, but our, our kind of mission statement with each other was we're going to try and make this work and therefore we have to sacrifice everything else for um, two years outside of that. So Pete, I, I was really lucky that we moved to a town. We all moved into a big house together uh, just outside Brighton. And I'm from this area. So I was really lucky that I could hold down a job that I'd had on and off since I was like 15 with a family friend. 
But some of the other guys did not have that luxury. And uh, one of the guys, Tom, particularly, walked out of so many jobs. Like, I mean, he was working in a, like a news agent. And then a, a last minute like gig came in. We were like, we, we have to go. We have to go and do this. And he said this to his boss. His boss, what, you can't. You're, you're at work. He was like, well, no, not anymore. <laughs> and <Lakers>. just, <laughs> even in his uniform, just fully walked out of wow. the shop. Like, brutal. I love that. But it was that kind of level of all, that all, um, all for one, one for all type thing mm. that really got us our got us our start, really. Everyone was in the same boat. I've, I've heard it a lot within sort of success sto- stories of different people that they will dedicate their entire time to doing it. And there isn't anything else that comes in yeah. the way. It is, as you say, all or nothing. You just go in um, and they say yes to everything as well. That's the other thing I've picked up some, from a lot of success stories. Just say yes to everything. Doesn't matter how rubbish you think it is. Just yeah, I do mean, it. That's, that's a fundamental improv skill is yes and is that is the idea of yesing everything yeah. and because you never quite know what's going to come out of it. Like that's exactly the the um the mindset that we had was even if even if we're doing free gigs, there will be enough people in the room that will might see us and book us for something else. And that's how we got our first agent. We did a gig at the Edinburgh Festival. There was eleven people in the room, and a lot of the other acts just bailed on their energy level. And um, you know, it, uh, one of my pet peeves with comedy is uh, um, an act telling the audience off for there not being enough of them. Yeah. And you're like, these ones are here. Don't tell these ones off. It's not their fault. It might be the booker's fault, the promoter's yeah. fault. It, it might be no one's fault. It's just one of those things. And I really remember the uh, the MC doing that and being really frustrated with it. And we went out and gave it, uh, you know, high energy. There's five of us as well. We're all dancing around. There's a lot more energy. And it just so happened that there was an agent in the room who uh, whose act was the MC, in fact. Mm. And immediately we got in a room and then he was our agent for the first four or five years of our career. And Perfect. off the back of that, we he booked a ton of uh, venues and we were just we were straight away on this big comedy circuit that we didn't even really know at the time existed. That's amazing. I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for giving it your all in any situation. Something we talked about on a previous um, podcast, even, well, Billy, your little um, monologue slam thing. It's like some people would go along to a little, oh, it's in Sitting Bourne, it's blah, 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 and just turn up, go through the motions get some experience but it's like you never know who's going to be sat yep. in the audience so billy you had someone come yeah, up yeah, to you didn't you bbc who writer was, um, afterwards which was nice yeah who thought i was irish which right. is always good as well <laughs> but it's, it's one of the things i found with you sam when when you were teaching the lessons and funny enough I, I did message one of those mutual friends earlier and just sort of say you got any anything interesting about sam that i could potentially bring up and she said, no, but he's just always full of good energy. And you are. You're, you're full of great positive mm. energy. And I think that sort of shows through. There isn't, you know, I, mean, I, I don't want to dive into your personal life, but you, if there is something negative in your personal life, I haven't seen that come through. And I think that's a really great trait to have. And it's also why people want to see you because you make them feel good um, based upon what you're, you're, you're providing to them, whether that's through teaching or through the improv. I can make you feel good. It's true. It's very true. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think it's really important, and that is a conscious choice. Uh, choice um, is is to bring good energy and bring a, a high level of energy, particularly um, performatively, because that's not what I'm like all the time. Like I, as I said, I've, I've you get tiring. Yeah, right? yeah, I get tired of myself. Like um, my, my my wife's always <laughs> saying, like, oh, people go, oh, it must be really funny living with a comedian. She's like, no, it's exhausting. Like it's not funny at all. Like, every like, but I have. I, I think it's really important to have downtime, and also I, I'm. 
it's not that I don't have bad energy. Like I, th- I think in my personal life, people would probably say I'm often quite negative. And I think that that is because of the conscious choice to be so positive on stage in front of people in social situations. Mm-hmm. Then when you are removed from that, it needs to kind of equal out a little bit. It Happen needs to balance out. Yeah, yeah. balance. Yeah. yeah, and I think, and that tends that tends to be the case with a lot of comics. Like, like whilst I'm, I don't have to my knowledge, at least uh, a huge amount of mental health problems. A lot of comics do. They ha- or they they'll have lots of issues mm. off stage, and that and their their persona on stage is a kind of therapeutic way of expunging some of those issues, or at least promoting on the face of it a a positive attitude mm. publicly. Um, yeah, yeah, and I I think with the noise particularly, we we all. We all have that high energy and happy-go-lucky uh, friendship on stage, and the friendship is uh, exists off stage. Um, but yeah, the energy levels not so much. Do you think <laughs> that improv is something that anybody can learn? I'm like you've obviously been teaching at the Actors Lounge as well as I believe you were teaching before yeah, that yeah. as well. Um, it, you must have found some challenges with certain people there. Do you think there's people that just can't get it? Or is it something that we can all develop and take traits from? Uh, I think it, I think it's the same with everything. You can absolutely learn it. Whether or not you'll be good at it is uh, is, is a different mm-hmm. a different kettle of fish. Um, <laughs> but yes, I think I think everyone can take huge amounts of um, stuff from learning improv traits. Like like we just mentioned the the kind of yes anding thing. The saying yes to people um, is is a really positive thing in your life. Let alone actually just being good at it on stage. Mm-hmm. The idea of so yes and is a, a real improv term. I, I I think it's a little bit basic personally. I prefer the terminology accept and add. So even just in conversation, you're just accepting what somebody is bringing to the table, and rather than changing the topic of conversation and moving on to what you want to talk about, you add on to what they're talking about, and conversation flows, mm-hmm. and that yeah. other person feels listened to, feels heard, and you're adding on to what they talk about, and then when there's a natural breaking conversation you can start up your own little bit um and that's just a real a real simple technique that you use on stage to further a scene but it's also something that you can use in life to just further conversation and make people like you more mm. <laughs> um, you just you just keep adding uh, the jenga blocks until it falls over yeah, you start a new really, tower or, or not even fall over but just till you've made a nice complete tower and it's done <laughs> and uh, and the audience are laughing and uh, and somebody's put oranges down the back of their trousers who knows? <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are there any other key sort of points to improv that are things that we should be conscious of in terms of? I, there was something you brought up which has stuck in my mind ever since, and it still does anytime we do improv in class, which is the whole Rododex thing. Not picking the first mm. idea and going back through to, to two or three. Uh, is there anything else beyond that, or would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, so roll, rolodexing is another is a is a great skill. What that essentially means is is that as soon as a, a suggestion is is shouted out, um, whatever basketball, your brain is ticking through every single thing that you know to do with that word. You're picking out players. You're picking out types of shots. You're you're picking out venues, team names, whatever. Um, and that's rolodexing. It's just a, and and. And it's just a, a brain training exercise with then, okay, you've got all of these things running in your head to do with that suggestion, which bits are going to work um, when the scene starts. Um, 
And and it's and again, that's something that you kind of naturally do in conversation. As soon as somebody starts telling you a story about the time they went to the beach, in your head you're going, I've been to the beach before. Here's all the things that I did at the beach. Mm. Um, and in terms of that accepting and adding that I just mentioned as well, sometimes in conversation, your personal Rolodexing will get in the way of listening to what the other person is talking mm. about all the time. So, I'm, all I'm the, in my yeah, own little yeah, it's, dialogue. It's really common um, because you, you naturally go, I've had this experience too, and I want to tell you about it. Whereas mm. if you just kind of go along with what the other person is saying and, and add on to their experiences, um, I, what, and, and that in itself is another huge improv technique, is just listening. Listening is hugely important. And it's not just uh, active listening of somebody is saying something and it's going in and you're listening to it. It's listening to their tone, listening to um, their body mm. language. Um, when you're on stage, it's listening to the audience as a whole, it's listening to yeah. individual, like people often forget that an audience are made up of a group of individuals. So it's not just listening to them as a clump of the public, it's listening to individual pockets where there are individual people. Um, mm. Yeah, it might just be listening to um, the environment around you. Like we mentioned, you're in a different town. Like what, what are the people like here? Um, compared to like Liverpool is a very different town to perform in to, to, to London, it's very, which is very different mm. to Brighton, which is really like we were in Dubai recently, completely different again. Abu Dhabi, even though it's two hours up the road, completely different again. So yeah, lis listening, listening actively and passively is, um, yeah, is, is incredibly key. Is it important for you as a performer to keep training on those particular aspects? I'm obviously when you're doing and you're, doing these performances on a weekly basis, that's considered training in itself. I think that's staying fresh. But if you went for a three-month hiatus, would you get together with your troop and practice? Yeah, we tend to do it um, our, before a tour starts. So, well, quite a long time before a tour starts because you want to create a new style of show. Um, as I said, there, we have about between 100 and 150 or something um, structures of improv games. And before a tour, we want to create new structures. We know that we can improvise, but what are the, are the parameters with which, that we can change to make it new and exciting and not just doing the same mm. 10 improv games again and again and again? Uh, particularly keep with our, it fresh for yourself. For ourselves and also for our audiences. Like we have a lot of returning audiences mm. um, and also those people who, have, people who come to improv or who have seen quite a lot of improv are used to the same batch of improv games that they might have played on Who's Lines Anyway, or they might have mm. learnt in a training, you know, an improv kind of training session. Um, so it's our job not to practice the improv, but to create new structures. So we kind of think of different ways that audiences can shout out, not necessarily just shout out, you know, just right, shout something out now, but can we get them to draw pictures? Uh, which we can use as suggestions, as it were. Can we get them to uh, use stuff online? Uh, we're working with stuff at the moment with like chat GPT to play out. How can we get an audience to use that for us so that we've got a new way of generating, <laughs> generating comedy? We've used, you know, we use the internet quite a lot sometimes. Uh, on our, the tour show, actually, the, the tour for this year ends on Saturday, um, tomorrow, but the one of the things we do in that show is it's very much based around the town that it's in. The idea is that we're the kind of returning hometown heroes and we celebrate the weird and wonderful about the town that we're in. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is that we ask anyone if they are a local business person, like do they own a business, run a business, manage a business, um, 
normally there is somebody in there who does. And then during the interval, we drive to that business and we film an advert for it. Um, which we then oh, wow. edit <laughs> during the uh, interval edit. completely during the interval yeah the intervals normally run quite long um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah which is annoying but particularly if the business is far away sometimes it's just you just leg it across the road and you can find it um, mm-hmm. but sometimes like one of the guys drives like 25 minutes uh, to, I love to that. go I, on I love the because yeah. yeah as you're saying that's thinking out of the box yeah. you're not seeing other people doing it and that's keeping it mm. fresh and current and something new for yeah. people to take into and um, unexpected so- like people do not expect you to do that at all um, and then they no, do, yeah. like so much so that in the first ten seconds of the video, they're like, "What did they film this earlier on?" And then you realize, "How, no, how no, did this, they this know?" Was done Is the it interval, a stooge yeah. would be going through my head? Yeah, yeah. Know that that guy. It must be a friend of theirs. <laughs> People think that we've pre-filmed it. Um, it's really funny when the business is open. Like the one guy owned a gym, and it was open. So mm. <laughs> Robin and the group just <laughs> went in and started interviewing staff. Like and this guy was, the, and they're like, "What do you think about your boss?" And they were just answering very, oh, very funny. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, often people want the footage and we give them the footage. It's like an advert uh, for, mm. for their business. Yeah. And, and so it's creating those structures. That's how we rehearse is like, yes. what's a fun <laughs> way of like another one, for example, was uh, we, one of the guys, uh, Tom Horton, who is now a, a great standup uh, on his own tour this year. Um, he was our guitarist. We had live music. When he left, we were like, oh, what do we, what should we do with like musically? Um, so we recorded tracks, um, so we play tracks quite a lot. But then we were like, we joke, we joke. Well, anyone could play guitar as a joke, kind of. <laughs> we don't need him. And actually, we thought, you know what? It doesn't really matter if they can or can't. If we just bring a guitar and ask an audience member to get mm. up and play it, that'd be really funny. So sometimes we get an audience, yeah, we get an audience member up to play guitar. They might be incredible. Like we had the guitarist from Kajagoogoo up recently. Brilliant. Um, or wow. they might be a child who knows one chord. And we'll just do a song to it regardless. Um, so yeah, that's how we rehearse. Basically, we, we create these fun structures. Brilliant. I love the video idea because the good thing about that is if they do share it on social, it's also an ad for you exactly. guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is helpful. The same with pictures as well. We get people to draw pictures quite a lot and then we'll use those, but then we'll repost them out in the... In the um, in, in the way that they were using the show and then people repost those. And yeah, mm. and any, any interaction with, uh, with the people that come to see you is, is great. And people like it too. People like, they, they feel familial. Uh, that, I mean, it's one of the great things about yeah. being in a, a sketch troupe is that, uh, and same, same with like, you know, boy bands and, and girl bands and stuff. People have their favourites and they want to be part of the gang. Mm-hmm. Um, the tribe, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and, that's, and that's an important part of, the industry that people sometimes forget about is is that you mm. you do generate fans and people who know more about you than you think they're going to than <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want them to <laughs> yeah so, sometimes yeah but it's nice it's nice that people get involved and that they feel a part of it and that it's important to them like we have a few fans who come a, a lot like you know 40 50 times a year and mm. whilst you might think that's that wow that's that's crazy a lot but it's an important, every week, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, sometimes three, four times a week. Like, if we're in Are one we talking area. about your wife here? Oh, God, <laughs> no. She I just, I just wanted to years. clarify. <laughs> no, no, she was, she'll stay away as much as possible. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it's really nice that... So, one of the lovely things about it is that people have then formed friendships off the back of just being fans. Which like is amazing that you... Sorry? bit like queen fans uh, they've got yeah that, but to a much smaller of... scale yeah yeah wow. yeah 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 i'm talking <laughs> talk like 0.000 percent 
of that. <laughs> just, just, um, just, just take the Queen fan thing. Just, sure. <laughs> just, just ride with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really nice to be able to, like during lockdown, we did weekly online shows um, and it just fostered this wonderful community of people who just got so involved. And then even though we didn't, we'd never met half of these people, but then when you get back to doing live shows, people coming up to you and talking about how much it meant just to have something irreverent mm. to do on a Tuesday night and how yeah. it kept them a little bit sane to got, give them a little bit of structure and a little bit of comedy. It. Yeah. And, and we didn't, yeah. you don't really notice that sometimes as a performer. You're just up there. Sometimes it is doing mm. your job. Sometimes it is having great fun with your friends. Sometimes it is just doing a job. And you forget that you, you can have that impact on, on people. And even if mm. even, we're not massively famous, but even if we can just have that impact on 20 people, that's just, it's just yeah. really, it's a really nice. nice Makes perk. it all worth it, doesn't it? Yeah. Even if it's one person, I think if, if you perform something and it touches someone in a way that helps them, mm. gives them a bit of hope and want to carry on and in especially life. Especially during lockdown, because that's where yeah. we all struggle. Yes. Yeah. Because of lockdown, we all learned to do a lot of different things in different situations and learning stuff from home. Is there things we could practice if we were by ourselves at home um, to, to help improve? Our improv. Oh, on your own. Um, interesting. Or maybe research, watch. What, what, what would you recommend? Because there's going to be people listening that potentially can't get to the Actors' Lounge mm. or want to develop their improv, um, but don't have a set route or a way of stepping into it. And sometimes we just need to do that. Like you sing at home by yourself. We can act at home by ourselves. Um, yeah, I, th- I think... What- we once did a uh, symposium in LA and one of the other panelists said uh, a really interesting thing, which was that with improv, um, you will use everything that you've ever known or you, there is the potential to use everything that you have ever known. Um, and so what that, what that means is there, there might be a suggestion that comes up that, that just accesses part of your brain that you're like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that for 20 years, but this is going to be genius the little bit i'm going to perform now it might be that you saw somebody in town 10 years ago walking like a complete lunatic and you just copy that walk it might be a little tidbit of knowledge that you remembered about osmosis from your gcse years you you don't know what it is and so in terms of uh improving your improv at home just collating knowledge just uh watching stuff consuming content um is helpful. Re- reading, watching films, watching uh, comedy, any anything at all, you might use that at some point when you're when you're doing when you're doing improv. That's great um, advice. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, sometimes just it might just be a, a f- yeah, it might just be a, a funny face that uh, somebody does in a sitcom. Um, like for one of the guys in our group, Matt is a, a huge like Jim Carrey fan, and he loves like Buster Keaton as well. And so even just watching people you like and sometimes just mimicking it's it's like what kids do like mm-hmm. this this is my favorite thing about performing as a whole is that it legitimizes play like you lose the sense of play so early on in your life like it's as you go through yeah. puberty then it becomes this like scary vulnerable embarrassing not cool thing to just play mm-hmm. and imagine um whereas performing acting improvising whatever bring like formalizes it again and makes it legitimate to just mm-hmm play um yeah we get it drummed into us to sort of put a lid on stuff don't we yeah. as we're growing up whether it's being upset or playing up or showing off or anything there's, um, like that there's a picasso quote which i saw come up earlier which was every child is an artist the problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up yeah mm. yeah exactly yeah that's exactly exactly the 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 point that 
I'm making as well, but he that's just much more succinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I'm nice. Carso, you're off. On that wonderful note, Sam, it's been really great talking to you. I'd like to come back if we can in five minutes' time. Just have a quick chat about Commedia dell'arte, which is another thing that you teach when it comes to the Actors' Lounge. Um, yeah. So we're going to take a quick five minutes and then we'll be right back. Fantastic. Lovely. See you after the break. The Actors' Lounge is an actor training school for all ages and all abilities over the age of 18. We run evening classes with three levels, foundation, intermediate and advanced. So whether you've never tried acting before and always wanted to give it a go, whether you've had some training and you'd like to go a little bit deeper into your craft, or whether you're a professional actor who'd like to keep your hand in training to be prepared for work, there's a course for you at the Actors' Lounge. So visit our website, theactorslounge.co.uk, to find a school near you and to find out how you can join the rapidly growing The Actors' Lounge family. Okay, and welcome back. We still have Sam here with us. And what I would like to talk about now is Commedia dell'arte. It's something else that Sam teaches whilst he's at the Actors' Lounge. Um, It's something I've studied at college. I have a rough idea of what it is, but I'm going to give Sam another opportunity just to explain to us in short terms, if he can, what Commedia dell'arte is. To someone who knows nothing about it, which is bound to be people listening who won't. A lot of people, yeah, which is it's such a shame because it's such a wonderful art form. Um, as I briefly mentioned earlier, it is a, um, a semi-improvised form of Italian masked theatre. So most of the performers are in masks um, and the masks represent stock characters within society. So you've got Pantaloni, the, the old miserly man. Uh, you've got uh, Zanni, like a kind of bumbling servant character. So at, in the time, so Commedia was prevalent in the kind of 14, 15, 1600s. So at the time, these stock characters would have been very um, recognisable to all who saw them. The idea that uh, a lot of these shows would take place in uh, piazzas and stuff um, hard to see sometimes when you just got a crowd on a flat surface. What, so what you do you need... mean by piazza? Sorry, I'm I'm not aware. In a piazza, in a square, in a town square. Oh, okay. Um, you know, might just have a flat surface and a raised stage, and you can't necessarily see the um, nuance in facial expression or whatever. So, mm. mask would immediately tell you who this character is. You you know, you know the character before they've even done anything. Um, mm. And yeah, so it's it, uh, semi semi improvised. So uh, it's one of the first kind of forms of theatre to directly address the audience just consistently, n- not necessarily yeah. just as a narrator, but as characters. Um, and in general, the the way that the shows work is that you have the the plot kind of derives itself from the characters, not not the other way around. Like in in a lot of performances, uh, theatre. Uh, you have the plot and the kind of characters fit in between it. Mm. The in Commedia, the characters are the crux. Um, you 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 know and understand them before they've done anything, and so you know that the bumbling. So Blackadder, for example, Blackadder is a such a mm. comedic show. You know that Rowan Atkinson's characters in this. You you know how he's going to react to things. How what Blackadder is yeah. type of yeah. thing he's going to do. Same with Baldrick. Like those, these are such comedic mm. characters and Percy um, as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of them. And regardless uh, of the time period, they're still those characters. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and yeah, so the, st- the stock characters in Commedia are, are really important. And the, the masks, they are kind of, 
your script, as it were. So you know that you're when you're improvising, you you are improvising based on the characteristics that the 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 mask gives you. Um, if you are the uh, pantalone, the old the old man, like you know that you're going to be miserly and horrible and misogynistic, and um, the the classic like withholding your money for anything apart from hoarding it. Um, you know that these and the they're audience quite will simply know. defined, aren't they? Um, that these characters are very simply defined, which which allows there still to be a bit of expression and difference as it sort of moves a bit across like the Punch country. Punch and Judy, then. Well, so Punch and Judy come yeah. directly out of Commedia dell'arte. Punch is from uh, Pulcinella, who was a stock character mm. uh, from Naples in uh, in the Commedia. Um, pantomime as well is very directly um, evolved from from the Commedia. That idea of um, you know, you're you're kind of your dame and your fool, um, and that that kind of direct address and play with the yeah. audience of you know that he's behind you type stuff. That's all. That's all directly um, evolved from comedian. And mama's so plays would they be the same as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the it's the wonderful, incredible thing about comedian is that very few people, apart from those deep within the industry, have heard of it, and yet it permeates all of Everywhere. popular culture. Um, like I just mentioned, Blackadder, like m- almost all sitcoms will have have traits of comedia. So, like I say about the plot deriving itself from the characters, not the other way around. Like Friends is another classic example of that. Like just taking a sofa up the stairs isn't isn't a strong plot, but seeing it done with characters that you know and love immediately makes it funnier because they're yeah. because of their reactions. Um, and that is a yeah massively. Um, Massively comedic trait. Of course, they're not wearing masks, but in in performance and in the way that uh, uh, filmic um, performance has evolved, you don't need the mask anymore. It's kind of um, mm. it's it's been made slightly redundant because you don't need to have the mask to show what type of character you are. Um, and part of that is just because cameras get really up close to you when you are performing. <laughs> um, whereas in, a, in yeah. a town square, you won't necessarily necessarily have that. Well, they uh, to, to match the masks and the fact that they were in a town square, were they like overgestated as well? Sort of big, typical, yeah, massive, acting, massive physical movement. Each, style. each character, each stock character, not only has a set of attributes that um form their character but they also will have set physical movements as well um for like you say like needing to be a lot bigger to uh, a lot more performative when you're out outside in a town square so yeah some some of them will have their own specific physical walks uh some of them will have specific things that they might do uh the the way they fall over might be a kind of uh specific way of doing that for certain characters that you there's a there's a, a way of doing that um, so although it is predominantly like there's a, a lot of improv involved in it, um, there are these kind of stock things that certain characters do as well that you'll want to see in most shows, like the way that Pantalone, mm. the old man falls over, he falls over like a little turtle and then he's rolling around on his back and he can't get up cause he's too infirm to get up. So you need two stronger characters to kind of physically flip him up. Uh, our, mm. our is a, is a relatively well-known character as well, who evolved into the Harlequin, which is quite a, a common like, um, yeah. thing to see around. France um, mm. and Arlecchino is a very physical, very physical character and could just backflip out of nowhere, which is always a really fun thing to, or you know, just doing cartwheels or is, is physically quite impressive. Um, 
which is always is a really he a fun bit thing of a to, comedian type character as well, where he sort of like interchanges his personality. He's one minute he's somebody's friend over here, and next minute he's sort of. Uh, I, the the reason I referred to that I watched not Hunchback on Notre Dame the other day because I have a five year old <laughs> yeah, sure. son and that's what we do. Um, and obviously there's a Harlequin character in there and the Gypsy crowd that are performing what looks like a Commedia dell'arte play because it's the mm. the mask the the celebration of masks. Um, he is that type of character and it's it's almost creepy. He's very invasive. Yeah, yeah. Ar- Arlequino is. Um... Is 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 um so Z- so one of the characters is called Zanny and Zanny is not only the name of a character but um also a type of character. So a Zanny is a kind of servant type character who will serve various masters. And there are different hierarchical structures of different types of Zanny. And Arlecchino is like a much more higher status Zanny. Uh, so he yes he's a bit more conniving. He's got a little bit more understanding of the way the world works. He isn't just obsessed with finding and eating a pie that the that the the bottom rung Zanny is is all about. Arlecchino understands the way the world works a little bit more and so can get in audience faces and create havoc um within the 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 plot function. Um yeah, really interesting character. I, I like the the another fun thing about Commedia is that you you gravitate towards certain characters and you want to be able to play them because you see elements of their personality in yourself. And then, yeah, as soon as you don that mask, you exaggerate all of the things about yourself that then make the character interesting. Arlequino is a character I've never played because I'm not particularly physically. I, I'm, you know, five foot six. I can't backflip. Like I'm a big stocky boy. <laughs> like, well, a short stocky boy. Like it would be mental for me to play uh, to play Arlequino. Mm-hmm. Whereas I gravitate much more towards some of the other characters. Like I said about the improv being like it's it's great uh, getting in front of an audience and playing that made me feel incredible yeah and there's characters a character particularly called capitano who is full of bravado a big big showman um and I, so i like doing something like that uh, his his character as well is that kind of um archetype of somebody who is all show seems incredible the on the face of it from beauty and the beast type character yes but Ga- so but gaston has legit confidence in himself because he is powerful and impressive uh, he's an idiot, but he's powerful and impressive. Whereas Capitano in the Commedia dell'arte, underneath it all, is a complete coward, a complete blagger. Oh. Everything he says is exaggerated, is a complete lie. He's just trying to get through life on being, on, on outwardly being confident. And I like that kind of dichotomy. I think that's why uh, that character always appealed to me. So, would there be a touring troupe of Commedia dell'arte performance? That's, that's, that's exactly what it was. Uh, for most of its life, Commedia dell'arte, uh, it was that you would have a, a traveling band of performers who would go around all of the different um, precincts in Italy, predominantly, and then moving to France, Germany, a little bit of Spain, um, and coming here a little bit as well um, in, a, in, a, in a group. Um, and they would tour. And then sometimes you would change up actors um, to play slightly different roles, like because any play doesn't have to have a certain amount of these set characters. There might be six in a troupe, there might be eight. Um, and you might have three actors who are really good at doing the Zannies and one who was a, a great pantalone old man. Whereas in another troupe, you might have different people who are good at different stuff. And so it, yeah. it's the same with our improv shows. Like you never quite know what you're going to get when you come and watch it, but you know mm-hmm. that you're, you're going to be entertained. Um, the, the other wonderful thing about Commedia is that it was one of the first forms to promote female actresses. 
um, playing female roles on stage. Oh, um, yeah. And for that reason, it was banned in various different places because that's absolutely oh, right. Of How course. dare you yeah. let women be paid to be performers on stage live in front of awful. Um, and it's it evolved into the idea that so there are certain characters in Commedia that don't wear masks. They're the kind of purer characters that don't need to hide behind um, a kind of grotesque mask. They're the purer characters. Mm. And for the most part, most of those characters are women um, because they are purer of heart, purer. basically, is the idea of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, p- paying, paying, touring women is one of, it's pretty much the first, um, mm. first form of theatre to do that. I'm wondering if it feeds into restoration comedy as well, because some of the characters you're, I'm sort of thinking of, of like, um, I was in Afro Ben's the, the Rover, and some of the characters in that are really echoing what yeah. you're saying. And also that brought me onto the thought of, it seems like there's this sort of chicken and egg thing, because you're saying about archetypes. Obviously, Comedia Delight has had a massive um, impact because of people who have trained in it and seen it in, in various art forms. But I also wonder how much of that is also down to the fact that they are human archetypes that are in our psychology. Yeah. What's, what's your sort of thoughts on that? Or did it shape our psychology? Oh. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think, yeah, the, 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 the types of, it wouldn't exist, it wouldn't have existed without those archetypes, without those stereotypes of people existing mm. beforehand um you you need to it's how satire works you you need to have something to satirize um yeah and that's the same that's the same with the comedia and pe- people is it again same with stand-up as well like the best observational comedy is from stuff that you know like when uh, mcintyre talks about his man draw that that mm. gives you something to focus on and go oh yeah i've got a man draw and that's the that's <laughs> the same as going oh yeah i know a uh, an asshole old man, grumpy old tight like, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need you need those that that basis to be able to mock or satirize or. So it's just done through whatever. structures, not through scripts. Yeah, so not much the, like what you say with the games. A, a little bit. There is there is a kind of A to B. So you know your you know where you're going to start your scene, and you know where you, where you've got to get to to finish it. So, for example, the the first se- the a scene might be an old man and his daughter. Um, and it starts with her wanting to say that she is in love with someone and it ends with him saying, no, you can't marry them. Yeah. And so that's it. That's your, that's your kind of structure for that little bit, that, that first scene. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. And you will have rehearsed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're all, it's kind of full of little mini games basically. Um, and you will have rehearsed that A to B loads um, and out of those rehearsals will come like a devised piece. Like at, will come certain bits and bobs um, that you will then keep in every time. But also, like we were talking before about, it's different performing in Liverpool than it is to London, other countries, whatever. Politically, how they're feeling on that day, it, it's something that might have happened in the news that day. You can input any of that stuff in as well um, as an improviser. So you've got your little bits that you'll keep in. Um, and you've got the defined plot sections. So there will be, it's still a, a kind of show in three acts and you know the resolution of the story for the end and you know your A to Bs in each, in each little mini scene of which there might be, I don't yeah. know, 12 per act or something. But, and although you're hitting your points 
during those, you can also Im- improvise between them as well, as long as you include those points. And that still that still happens in in various pantomimes. You're not not with all all of the roles, but with you know with um, with one or two roles, you will have a, a comic actor who is a who is Somebody brought in because they can improvise and play with the audience directly. Mm. Um, with I'm doing it resonates with me because I'm I'm off to Dublin next week and we're doing a historical piece out there. But before the historical piece and well, so we're we're leading the 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 audience around. So we have to interact with them as well. And at Great. any point they could over familiarize themselves and jump yeah. into our scripted or our <laughs> story. So we've had to practice all of our improvisations, talking off script to each other and what we'd say if we interacted with another character that shouldn't have actually been in that place because the yeah. audience have somehow led them there. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, that's really fun. I love doing that. We do that in kid shows a lot. Um, so in our kid shows, we'll have a little bit of plot just so that they've got something to kind of hold on to. It might just be that we are, um, I don't know, we're, we're going to space. Uh, it, well, our, our last... Uh, tour show was that it was called the Mysterious Mansion of Mysteries. I and, went and saw it. Uh, oh yes, you did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the idea was is that we all live in a big mansion, and each behind each door, something weird happens, and that's that's the kind of you know simplicity no, of kids love that sort of stuff. Exactly, yeah. really simple, and it just gives them something to grab hold of. Like the the tour show before was like a, a pirate theme show, and we were trying to find an evil captain. Simple as that. Mm. Um, but. The for kids particularly, I love doing a pre-show where you know we open the doors ten minutes earlier than we probably should. So there's like half an hour between doors opening and the show starting, and we just interact. We just interact with all the kids. They again, like I said about adults playing, like kids love it when adults play, like particularly strangers, mm. and they're playing, and you're 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 allowed to, and they're like, oh my god, this adult's being an idiot. Like uh, that's that's <laughs> weird. That's that's funny. Um, and it's just so it's so fun to play along with the kids, it, and, and you're in character as well. So you know, like particularly with mm. the mysterious mansion, you're playing you're playing like slightly creepy tour guides of this of this mysterious mansion. And like, <laughs> I, I always I often had a broom, so I'm like cleaning up to make sure that it's nice and clean, ready for the tours of this mysterious mansion. So then you're getting kids up to like brush the stage. You're intentionally making loads of mess so that then they ha- they have to clean it up. <laughs> just that just that play, and you never you also never know what a kid is going to say in that. Like you said about or, you know, what if an audience mm. says something and I'm like, Ugh. like a kid is even worse for that. <laughs> you never know <laughs> what is good, what is going to happen. Like, so I, I used to do this fun thing um, where I ask a kid, I'm like, um, oh, it's good, you know, good to have you here. And then if they're like dressed in something a bit unusual, like this girl had like a kind of full rainbow outfit on. And I'm like, oh, what, mm. what are you? Are you, are you, a, are you a fairy? She's like, no. Oh, are you a nymph? No. You must be a troll. No, no. Uh, yeah, go through loads of different stuff, and I'm like, "So, what are you then? If you're none of these things?" She just goes, "I'm a human girl," and I just find that <laughs> kind of interaction just Brilliant. so funny. Brilliant, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Kids shows are great. I, I suppose a, with uh, Commedia dell'arte, you can follow it all the way through the time, through these different sort of arcs, and then all the way mm. through to, as you say, your comedy that you're doing at the moment. There's just one yeah. trait from it. Taking this, let's play on this thread here. Mm. Hold on to this thread the way that the audience interaction works or we'll take this for the defined characters. It's so, um, so similar. And like I said, when I wanted, when I initially was like, I want to create an improv, um, a comedia troupe and that, I would like that to be my job. And then this is the closest kind of modern version of that that I could, that I could get to. I still think there is room to have a comedia troupe. Like they were just, they, they just don't exist. Like they, 
Um, there was a great company called Offerboom. I would go and see it. I would, it sounds like I would great quite fun. happily come and help you act yeah. if if the opportunity was there and I fit the type. Um, yeah, if I had, if I had time, I like that's the that's the problem. Like the like I said about sacrificing time. everything else to do this uh, mm. to to do the noise yeah. that you know that is our lives. But like you know, if this ever ended, I think it is something that I would definitely want to pursue. Even at like the Edinburgh Festival, it, anytime a mask show comes up, I'll go and see it, but it's so rare. Like I went, um, so I live in Brighton and the Brighton Festival was just on in May and I noticed that there was a, um, part of it was a mask festival. And then when I kind of delved into it, it wasn't a mask festival, it was just a mask company from Poland was coming in doing four shows. And that was it. There's, you uh. just don't see much mask theatre. No. Um, and, it's a, and it's a real, it's a real shame. I, th- I think Comedia could be, could be huge. I think there's a real, a real gap for it. Um, if somebody just, yeah. Well, just I'm a huge fan of, of making sure that theatre is accessible to all people. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean performing in playhouses. That could mean performing in the back rooms of pubs. And I did some mummers plays quite a few years ago with a society. Um, and I like the fact that we were literally walking down the street, walking to a pub, doing a play, walking out, they'd mm. give us a beer or something whilst we were in there, walk to the next <laughs> one and... I think um, the guy who played George in it was absolutely. I'm trying to find a polite word. He drunk a lot. Um, right. He had drunk a very much, very much a lot that he could not grammar rightly, just like mm-hmm. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, like, was he actually drunk or was he playing? Oh drunk? yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, he he drunk a lot whilst because we started off in. The, the idea method. of the mummers play was mm. that you had to go between the pubs and it was yeah, organised yeah. as an event with inside a particular town. Yeah. So you went into one pub and the tradition was that the bar for performing would then give you a drink. Yeah. Just like Christmas carols. <laughs> Christmas carols developed from that same thing. So as he went in, he was quite happy to drink other people's drinks as well because after one drink, I'm like, oh, do you know, I'm fine. It's a hot day. I'm not going to keep walking up and down the road. I'll be asleep by two o'clock. Yeah, he drank everybody. So he was oh having a God. great time. Wow. The, the, it worked. It worked for the character. It may not like George became from King George, or as we expect him to be, to King George. No, I mad, am Mad King, King George. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mad King George. Uh, but yeah, it was I, great. And I, I, please, yeah, no, I uh, like. It's funny when I first started out, I couldn't go on stage without like two snake bites in me. Um, and then wow. the way that the, the improv works, you realize, oh, as you're doing it more and more, actually, to be able to clear your mind and improvise and access every element mm. that you have in your brain, um, you need to be completely clear headed. So none yeah. of us at all ever yeah. have anything now at all, unless we're doing like a special show and it's like, a, we've always wanted to do a substance abuse show. I think that'd be really funny. Like, or just um, your, like your drunk Shakespeare, your, like they're not doing. actually yeah, abusing like substances, right? Well, no, but like, as it, well, not yet. I, so one maybe one person's hammered, but maybe one person hasn't slept for forty eight hours, or maybe somebody yeah. has just run a marathon. Like so, not like that. You're all impaired in some way, just to see how that mm. affects your like brain activity yeah. and your your ability to perform in front of an audience. Although you say about like like yeah, drinking on the job. So I um I've done a little bit of like screen stuff, but I, so I uh, <laughs> I was auditioning. I was down to one of the last few to play someone in Harry Potter. And in the film, and I did. <laughs> um, I, had, I was doing a scene for some of the casting people, and basically, they were like, "You're really good live, but you're too big for the camera." And I was like, "Yep." 
Oh, that, but I was like, what? Phys- like physically, oh, they moved the camera no, 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 further too... away. Yeah, no, they were like, you are, you are a live performer. Oh, and I was really like, yeah. okay, mm. yeah, that's interesting. But then when I did, uh, so I lived in Colombia for a while, and um, just at the time, because I was a young white person, they wanted to cast me in absolutely everything. And the stuff that I had done before, if you were to drink on film, it's never actually booze. Um, whereas mm. we went to this tequila bar to film, and my scene was really simple. I would like I was looking looking sad. The 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 frame was on me. I down a shot and then storm out of this tequila bar and then bump into the main actor and then the the camera would remain on him as I had left. So I was just like an extra yeah. basically. Um, but every time they 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 filled it with tequila. I was like, oh this is God. a terrible idea. And then, and then the main actor found this really funny. So he would intentionally muck up the scene and bump into me too hard or not bump into me or forget <laughs> so to the time it was. I got absolutely battered. Like it was absolutely oh nightmare. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do the last take. I'm like, I can't, guys, I can mm. barely walk. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. <laughs> the falling yeah, into the main actor became real. Yeah, yeah we I, did. He, t- yeah, crazy. I've had someone put a whiskey in front of me in a, a scene. What was it? I, w- I was playing a, a record promoter, manager of a band sort of thing. And um, it, was, it was one of these, sort of, you know, it's very independent. Uh, and the guy just put a drink down and I went to sort of sip it thinking it was going to be tea, right? Now, I don't, I very rarely drink. And as soon as it got to within an inch of my nose, I was like, oh, this is real whiskeys. <laughs> Bells as well. Which, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, I just couldn't believe someone would do that on a set. It's very strange. Yeah, on a film set, yeah, completely different. I've definitely done that in plays. Like, we used to do that. Um, uh, I did it in a play two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, it's fast. Well, yes. no tricks in. Go on. Yeah, get, get through that without making the audience realise that we have just spiked your drink, essentially. Yes. <laughs> yes. See that? Do you know that's one of the things I used to love about pantomimes? Yeah. Because anything goes in pantomimes. We, well, I can't remember what pantomime we was doing, but there was a well in the middle of the stage, and um, one of the uh, the crew decided that they would get into the well with their trousers completely off, so that their nice bright white bum was highlighted by <laughs> the stage lights. And as the main actress sort of sits, what? she's meant to lean in, grab something out of the well, which he put between his legs. Um, I don't oh know why you get away with it now because it might fall under sexual Isn't harassment. But yeah, abusive, yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> you could just see her face go, oh. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was sweaty. It was, uh... And after a few <laughs> sessions of therapy, she was fine. But anything goes in panto. Well, not anything. We... Yeah. yeah, I'd um, like to do a that... panto. I've never, I've never done one before and I think, I think I'd be really good at it. It's and... a good community feel. Mm. Yeah, I just, um, so if there's any, anyone casting, um, I'm available. Reach out to uh, the lovely Falling Kent. <laughs> Evolution Productions, based in Kent. Really good guys. I've worked with them on a few things in my other work, um, and they are absolutely brilliant guys. Reach out to them. Well, well um, why not? Just do I'm, it. I'm We've got to make our own people, opportunities. People actually reach out to me now. So, um... oh, oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> that stage. <laughs> no, what that's you not need, true sir? at all. You need a manager. <laughs> I know, just the guy. Well, actually, that's it. So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting um, comment about like needing a manager and stuff. Like, so we, like I said, uh, we performed in front of these this tiny little audience, got our first agent, and then down the line you go, oh, you kind of outgrow one person. You need somebody a bit more mm. powerful and stuff, and then you do that. And then um, what we realized with a lot of uh, once you've got experience down the way, that if you then have learned enough skills, just admin wise, or have learned 
um, have befriended enough people and know enough people in the industry that actually you don't need a manager anymore. You don't need no. a, a booker. And it was a, a really interesting change in mindset for our group about four or five years ago where we dropped our agent and just went out on our own because we didn't really I found the hardest thing about that in the industry was learning how to communicate with the people with inside the industry because it's different yeah. from any other industry. And it's one of those things where... When you're first starting out, you have to be very careful. You don't want to upset people. You want to deliver things in the right way. You don't want to send an essay. If they don't want an essay, you want to send three lines. But at mm-hmm. the same time, if they do want an essay, you've got to know that. It's, you've got to ha- know how to read that room. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, early doors particularly, that is why you get an agent uh, or, or some kind of manager is because they know those people, so they know who wants what and how they want it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think we, we realised, like, and people forget this sometimes too, that agents, like, whilst you're trying to impress people and stuff, the agent works for you and not necessarily the other way around. Um, mm. And that's hard to remember at first because you're just desperate for work and you want as much as possible and you're trying to be as nice to everyone as possible. But then, yeah, I, th- I think it's um, another piece of advice is like, know your worth and know your, know your product to know that it's okay to move on from things if they're not working yeah. for you. If it's um, not happening. Yeah, yeah, I think people stay with... like, And it's not even to say that just because one agent isn't getting you any work doesn't mean that they're not very good. It just... Sometimes mm. it's just luck of the draw, but... For it, whatever reason, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, or maybe they're only good with certain types of people that you don't quite mm. fit the bill of. Certain and it's types okay. of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's okay mm. to kind of know your worth, understand your product, and, and move on you know, if, if that's going to be better for you. So I, think- I imagine as well, the going agentless thing is kind of, once you've built up some momentum like you guys have, that probably makes it a lot easier as well. Like it's partly knowing the industry so you feel confident to do that, but also you've built up that momentum so people are coming to you more, is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was also part of understanding our role within the industry. So when we first started mm-hmm. and when we, particularly when we had our second agent, our goal was to have a TV show, was to mm-hmm. have a vehicle for our product on television, on a, well, streamers were just coming in at then too. Um, and then after a few years, we, we had some options uh, for shows that were ta- like, but then we did some pilots, but it never quite went anywhere. And then you realize that it's not going to happen. And even though even you might work really hard towards that goal, but it's still never going to happen. Um, and so we had to change our trajectory. And that was, that's okay. Like, because we were still successful in what we do, just not in, on, on television, not on, just not yeah. on screen. And so we, we, we turned around and focused more on touring and more on getting a theatre booker and changing the way that we were putting ourselves out there, which meant that we didn't need that agent anymore because they were there to try and get you television stuff and they couldn't do it. Mm. And that's, and that's fine. Like, and it was annoying and you kind of go, okay, well that's our, we're just having to alter our business plan. And although it's not what we first thought we'd be doing, like the way that our business plan is now, the way that our year works, we kind of do, we tour, we do cruises and we do corporates and that's, Mm. that's our life. And that's, that's okay. People need those. And that is the life of a lot of comedians, isn't it? That same sort yeah. of round. I've seen Dara Brian doing stuff for Gallagher Group down the road here. Oh yeah, the the the, cor- the corporate uh, 
circuit is what people like what comics want to get on they won't tell people mm. necessarily publicly that they're doing it um but yeah i mean that's just where companies have much yeah. more money mm. than um than venues do which where is the money lies sad indictment of the world really yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's our that's our kind of bread and butter is our corporate work but without the corporate work you wouldn't be able to do the touring that's the same with my video editing work, which is my bread and butter. It's, uh, yeah, corporate stuff. It's really dull, but they pay you. So yeah. Well, for us, <laughs> I'm like, going to turn it down. I think as a stand-up before we go corporate, it can be quite difficult. And you, you never quite know what you're walking into. It might be quite cold mm. environment. They might be hammered because, and they don't care what's on stage. You never know. Whereas yeah. for us, it's quite fun. We're, like, one, of the, one of the great things about being in a troupe is that you're in a troupe. There's multiples of you, and you can enjoy mm. it together. Or you can hate it, but you're together. Um, you can talk yes, about how terrible yeah. it was and laugh about it in the car on the way home. Whereas as a stand-up, mm. sometimes you're in the car on the way home and you're like, I've got, oh no, I'm so sad. <laughs> I've got no one to talk to about this well, terrible experience. The nice thing about being on stage with you and your, your friends, essentially, yeah. is um, something that we, when we were doing improv in the class, like somebody did to me, I was doing an accent during this improv piece that we were doing. And he said, I thought you'd come from Texas. And suddenly I'm like, oh no, he's just, he's put me on the spot here. Now I've got to continue everything I'm doing in Texan. And he just, I think he changed it three or four times. And every single time it was, it was Adam in the class. He was doing it just to sort of give me a little prod and wind me up that little bit more because he knows I've got to go there. Oh, it was wonderful. (laughs) Well, it's like I mentioned before about the camaraderie between the group. That's why people like seeing us as well is because you do have that friendly banter and you do, we call it shanking when you intentionally make something a little bit more difficult for someone else. Mm. Like, it's funny to watch, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. It's, yeah, it's fun to do as struggle. well. <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes you're one of your, the role of you in one show just might be the kind of whipping boy, as it were, like, oh, they're taking the mickey out of me mm. today. That's okay. The audience That's my like place that. To Every this, time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find doing that type of thing involves uh, an extra level of sort of cognitive ability because you're on your normal line and you're like, oh, I've just, I've, I've now got to concentrate a little bit more because mm. I can feel that, um, that the sharks are out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I like that in, we've been doing it for so long. So you kind of understand how to do this a bit quicker, but like the some or like, if it was me that was the kind of going to be the whip, like somebody's taking the mickey out of me. But if I've done something incredible in the past five minutes, the audience won't appreciate that someone's mocking me because at the moment mm. I'm their favorite because I've done something yep, really on great. Side. So yeah. filling that, like I said about um, solving the puzzle and understanding the challenge and listening, like sometimes it's about listening to, okay, the audience like me today, so I shouldn't be the one that has the mickey taken out of them because it's not going to be as mm. funny as the person who butchered a joke earlier let's get him like yeah. and so yeah and 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 that's is that whilst you we all have our kind of roles within the group they do the the waves kind of change and they evolve in individual shows and you have to understand and listen to what the audience want and when they want it and that okay my role today is going to be they hate me today so I am going to take a step back and I'm going to elevate other people's performance. Um, yeah. Or, oh, I've noticed that they don't like another performer today, so I'll take the mickey out of him a bit more and they'll find that funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that challenge. I like that, the, the fact that it can be different for you each time, you know? And as long as you all understand that and nobody's hurt at the end of it, it's all... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of a time where someone has been hurt by it. Oh, I, well, I, I mean, not legitimately hurt, but there, <laughs> there was one time where... Um, so I fully mention every now and then 
quite often, in fact, an audience will shout out, your mum, uh, just because they find that hilarious. But sometimes we'll take it as a suggestion. Mm. Like if you're playing the character of someone's mum, right, I'm going to be Tom's mum. This is going to be hilarious. Then obviously, because we know quite a lot about each other's personal lives, I just then fully went into just full facts about his mum, like full oh. named her, uh, like job, <laughs> address, like j- join me on Facebook, like this kind of stuff. And then after the show, it's like, it was really funny, but um, can you not just make, like, you can just make that stuff up. I was like, yeah, that's yeah, a valid point. Don't actually point. give people yeah. the real Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, no, yeah. That's, I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair enough, mate. Yeah, fair enough. Suddenly his mum's got 200 uh, requests. He was well, happened, it, though. Yeah, when I did stand up, that happened. It was, uh, Facebook hadn't been out long and mm. um, I did some material about how my my mum would comment on everything, every mm. single thing that went up. Um, and so I, yeah, I started giving out her details and be like, you know, add her. And then, yeah, Brilliant. I got this phone call like, Samuel, all these people who keep adding me. Um, and Because I, I would get them to quote a specific thing that she had said, which was pretty yeah. outrageous. And um, I would get them to quote that at her as they added her as a friend. And she was like, why do people keep saying these mean things to me? I'm like, yeah, fair enough. This, this has gone Aww, a bit too far. Mom. <laughs> Bless Wonderful. Well, on that note, Sam, I'm going to wrap up the interview there. So if you would mm-hmm. like to give a shout out for your mum right now, um, please feel free to do so if you if you know her Twitter we'll put handles her profile and Twitter. in the uh, show notes. Yeah, and... I mean my mum, my mum. Uh, well, she did die thirteen years ago, but oh, but <laughs> listen, if you want, if you, I'm sure that there'll be a PO box to send letters to, and she'd appreciate that from above. I'm sure she would. <laughs> yeah, um, Sam, what, what if you can tell us the name of the website for your company troops so we can keep up to date with your ongoings? Yeah, so we're called the Noise Next Door, and the website is just the Noise Next Door. Dot com. Uh, we're on, uh, as I said, our tour is finishing uh, this weekend, but there will be a brand new tour for uh, end of 2023 uh, and the whole of 2024 definitely coming to a town near you. Brilliant. We'll put that in the show notes. And we can find the Noise Next yeah. Door on Facebook as well, can't we? Just for any... Yeah, Facebook. Uh, we're, we're at Noise Next Door on all of the, all of the social media, um, and maybe even from today, including Ooh. Fred. That's right. We, right. We're down with the kids. We're getting yeah. these new social medias. So, um, yeah, just at Noise Next Door. There's loads of kind of silly comedy content on there and like dumb videos that we film in between, in between performing. Right. And are we going to get you doing more lessons at the Actors' Lounge soon? Because I haven't actually had the pleasure of being in a class with you yet because I joined quite recently. Well, it is going to be a great pleasure when it does happen for you, I promise. Um, I, yes, I think there are more. I don't have any booked in currently, but um, mm-hmm. yes, I, there, will, there will definitely be some more. And I hope there will be awesome. more comedia. Like, um, it's, it's a difficult thing to teach. And I, this is a lot of, uh, yeah. so I, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes with it. We, I've got all mm-hmm. my masks and stuff, but I love teaching it so much. And I, that would be amazing. Like, people don't know much about it. And I love being able mm-hmm. to, um, to show people what it is. Because even in this conversation, like, it's, it's hard to mm-hmm. kind of understand, like, what is this guy talking about? Like, but when you see it, it, yeah. it makes so much more sense. And how people, how you move in a mask, what a mask does to a performer, how it changes your physicality, your movements, and the way you interact with people. Um, so hopefully, yes, I will be back in for some for some mask workshops. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something like that. Brilliant, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Um, if anybody else wants to reach out to us for any questions for Sam that we can pass on to him. You can email us with act at theactorslounge.co.uk. You can follow me on Instagram at wilddean or on Twitter at Billy Dean Kent. Or you can follow me um, mostly on Instagram at Andy Wolfactor. 